You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast. This is episode 10. We made it into the double digits and we have plenty more to share with you today. How are you, Daniela? I'm wonderful. Awesome. Are you ready to talk some fermentation today? I, I am. Are you? Yes, I am. Did you ferment anything new? Anything Anything exciting? No, nothing new. I did cre- start creating a new ginger bug. Hey. I mentioned it last time, but creating my own ginger bug that I'm going to keep alive this time. I Keeping ferments alive is, a, started, is important. I started a new uh, kombucha batch. Nothing, nothing new other than my two drinks. Okay, so it sounds like you're still stuck on your uh, fermented sodas. No vegetables, no yogurts, no anything else? Like I said, I tend to stick with one thing for a while, sometimes get sick of it and move on to something well, else. Well, you're the complete opposite of me. I'm just like all over the place. I'm always like fermenting so many different things at the same time. What are you fermenting now? Um, well, I'm fermenting some uh, some new jalapenos, some uh, dill, How do you plan to use these jalapenos once I've, they're fermented? Well, I've, I've been using some fermented jalapenos just in anything. Like I just toss them into stuff. Like I Do made you cook some... them with food or do, is it after you cook a meal that you add them in? I will do it either way. I'm not uh, against either direction. I mean, I, I, I made well, not... some, I made some, uh, sweet potatoes with, uh, with hot peppers in them, with the, the jalapenos in them, with a little bit of cream cheese and, uh, yogurt. How did you add, add the jalapenos? Was it I after? added them after I cooked it, but again, it doesn't really matter. I do it. I would do it at any point. I'll add them before, or after, whatever works. Okay, I, and I know you talked about your fermented onions. How do you? I never meant. I always meant to ask you, but I tend to forget. How do you make them? Do you usually? Is it the same thing? Do you usually add them to cooked food after it's cooked, just for flavor? Do you cook it, and does how does that change the flavor of it? Um. Well, the cooked onions are a little bit you know, less flavorful. They spread into the dish a little bit more, but I generally will, if I'm going to use the fermented onions as opposed to, you know, raw onions and cook with them, I, uh, with the fermented onions, I just add them towards the end of the cooking process because it really doesn't take long to cook them because the fermentation... So towards the end, as in it still cooks a little. Oh, definitely. It's still, I still cook it completely too. Like I'm not like letting it, I just let it dull a little bit because I used uh, red onions this last time I fermented onions. And so I just let it dull. Um, like once it gets a dull color, like it going from purple to you know, like the pinkish purple to like a, a grayish tone, a grayish okay. purple. Once it goes to that, then I'm done. Okay. So I add it in as opposed to adding it. Usually when I'm cooking with onions, I add it. It's one of the first things added in and slow cooked or whatnot or cooked for a few minutes, but it's definitely not that way because it doesn't really need much. It's like, and sometimes if I'm using cast iron skillet, I'll just toss it in at the um, you know, after I've already turned off the heat because there's already stuff, enough residual heat. So besides, of there. besides the flavor of a fermented onion or a vegetable, are there any other benefits to doing it this way versus using a raw onion? Or is it well, simply it because it's... differently. It cooks faster. It is a different taste. It's well, like, it's again, sweeter. it's already sweeter to begin with. So you don't have to cook it slowly to caramelize the onion and to get the sweetness out or otherwise. So the benefits, I don't know. I like the way it, it's, a, it's a different... It's just a different... It's a different ingredient to cook with. Cooking with fermented onions, just like cooking with preserved lemons, um, that's different than cooking with fresh lemons. Okay. So that's the main reason you do it. It provides something different. I don't know. I I haven't found any recipes that use fermented onions. So I'm just going to have to create a few of my own and then I'll start posting what I'm doing with them. And I've had quite a few of your dishes with fermented onions and they are very delicious. Yeah. they um, it, it tastes a little different than onions otherwise, because I'll kind of do them in like stir, f- stir fry esque things. I mean, I kind of do like fusion stir fries with more Italian seasonings or otherwise, but in, in ingredients, but um, you know, like it, it goes great in any kind of like mixed fried stir fried dish of any sorts be it Asian inspired or, or European inspired cuisine. Um, things are kind of like all tossed together and, and cooked quickly. It works great for that. Seems to work well for you. I am not very good at mixing a whole bunch of foods together and creating a dish, but I think that requires well, understanding ingredients, which I don't have a very good, uh, understanding. Yeah. The more you cook, the more you, I, I mean, I, I, at least I find the more I cook, the more I know what kind of ingredients will go together. And it's just kind of what, that's kind of my style though. Like that's kind of my like crutch of cooking. It's like, I, I can cook a lot of different things and I can follow new kind of recipes, but I definitely lean towards stir fried cooking. Again, my stir fried definition is way different than stir fry Asian cuisine, even though I like doing a lot of that, like, and I'll mix rice, but I'll make like stuff with oregano and any other kind of Italian seasonings and put that with rice with some vegetables and mixed stuff in there. So it's like, it's kind of a, a, a mutt of cuisines kind of mixed in together but i like to mix a whole bunch of things together and get the flavor i'm much less about the presentation 
uh, at least I'm not, that's what I'm not as, as, as good at, unless I'm going to be taking a photograph of it for the blog or whatnot, then I'll pay a little bit more attention to the, to the, the plating of the dish. But in general, yeah, I'm not too worried about, it's like, it's my comfort food stirred, stirred like, like that kind of stirred fried and an easy go to. Well, yeah, because like whatever I have in the kitchen, in the cupboard, in the refrigerator, whatever fermented foods I have, it's like, I can toss those in. I can toss them in after it's been cooked or whatnot. And it's, it turns out great. And one of the things I've been doing that, that wasn't cooked, it was, uh, um, you know, the, I don't think I mentioned it, but the taking the Napa cabbage and carrots that are fermented, like you would ferment kimchi Mm -hmm. and then, uh, mixing that with sriracha sauce and, um, mayonnaise after it's fermented, after it's fermented, like about, uh, you know, about a month of fermentation. I mean, I did. About- so this is just cabbage that you put in a mason jar. Yeah, this with is going no way, seasoning. This is going way back to the kimchi episode we did, and I was talking about how I'm going to try that other kimchi, yeah, which I, I did. I did later, but I didn't end up fermenting it. Other than I didn't put any spices in it, I didn't put any other things. I just had the, just the carrots, carrots chopped and- up, and then the uh, the napa cabbage, and I was like, well, I'm a little tired. I'm just gonna toss those in a jar and let those ferment maybe i'll add the stuff tomorrow and like mix it up again and was there any water in it or anything just well it was the brine i mean i just fermented it like i would ferment any kind of like kimchi or or sauerkraut or otherwise it had the the liquid above but most of that was from itself kimchi being a little bit less crushed than than i do with like european cabbage when i'm making sauerkraut it's just i added a little bit of salt brine to it just at like my general two point so after that fermented you added um, then I, I let that ferment for about a week because letting kimchi get that effervescence, the bubbly, really helps to um, let it ferment. Once it starts bubbling, put it in the refrigerator and let it slowly ferment. So get that slow ferment on it um, in the refrigerator for, again, I did it for about a month. So a week up front of the fermentation on the counter, then it went into the refrigerator. And about a month later, I had this nice bubbly, really fresh tasting Napa cabbage and carrot. It, it, it tasted like spring. And then it was, but it was a little plain. But then adding in some mayonnaise, and I'll admit it was not homemade um, fermented mayonnaise, and it wasn't <laughs> uh, fermented sauerkraut. But ideally, this could be an entirely fermented dish if a person wants to. It was just mayonnaise and sriracha sauce. Use that as a dressing. Oh my gosh, it tasted so nice and bright and fresh and spring-like. That was... Uh, Is mayonnaise fermented? You can ferment it. I did not know that. Yes, we will... What do you ferment? The mayonnaise. I've never fermented mayonnaise, but I will soon so that I can make a full-on dish like this that's all 100% And you're going to make your own sriracha sauce? Yeah, which sriracha sauce is easy easy enough to make. And uh, you, you can make fermented sriracha sauce or unfermented sriracha sauce. But, you know, I, I just like to have a completely fermented dish for the sake of it, not for any other reasons. But even without it being so, like just having the fermented Napa cabbage, because Napa cabbage fermented without seasonings is still a much different experience uh, taste and experience in the mouth than sauerkraut and that is because they're different uh, they have different like structures and and again if, if you make it bubbly wasn't sauerkraut made with a different kind of cabbage too it's well, european Napa. cabbage versus yeah Napa, yes so that makes a difference it makes a huge difference and then just the bubbly aspect because that napa cabbage just holds those bubbles really nicely in the thicker pieces of uh, slices oh it's just it was so spring-like it was so i don't know i really enjoy it and it's nice in the middle of winter to have something that's so fresh. And Are you going to post a blog about this? Or I have it ready recipe? to go. It's just, you know, it's it, it goes back to those like plating things. It's like I've got to get it plated and looking nice so I can take a photo of it. But I have it, I have the blog ready to go. It's it's like it's it's right there. It's ready. I just have to. So the listeners should expect a blog on this this week, this coming up week. Yeah, I'll have a post on that, and I'll probably also be looking for a post on uh, the. Scoby making process. I just recently made another scoby from a batch of of store bought kombucha. Didn't we talk about that one? Yeah, we talked about it. So I'll post a blog post about the instructions and, and images of the process of how it um, how it starts at nothing and how it grows into something. And and it, it has worked great. And I've been fermenting some rooibos kombucha, so it has <sighs> no. It's not very good. You didn't like it when you tried it. No. Well, it's it has just a smoky flavor. No, it doesn't. It's not smoky. I'd it say it's meat. almost floral. I just don't. I like think it. I just would use a little bit less of the rooibos in the process. Ugh. I just think the rooibos was a little strong. It was kind of, but it's still rather sweet. So I'm it's letting one of those, it ferment longer. In my opinion, it's one of those teas. There are some teas you just don't want to use for kombucha, not for any reason other than that it does not produce a good flavor. I think I, it's because I don't like sweetened rooibos. I would argue that's one of them. 
Rooibos sweetened. I've only ever eaten it non drank it non sweetened. I think that's the only way that it tastes good. When it's when it's yeah sweetened, it's, it's like so. I am going to wait for this to start to tarten up some more, sour some more, ferment some more. It's in its second fermentation stage. I haven't added anything new to it. I'm just letting it ferment further after removing the scoby and. You know, it gets a little better every day. I just I just don't really like sweet kombucha anyway. Oh, I love sweet kombucha, but I'm really excited to try adding some oranges this time around to my kombucha. Really? It's, in the second stage? Yes, in the second stage, because currently it's still in its... Have you seen anyone doing that? No, but I did add lemons. I wonder what the citrus will do to it. Well, oh, you've done... Okay, so remember, you did lemons. I saw and... someone do lemons, and I did okay. lemons. I talked about this last time, or one of the few episodes Oh, ago, okay. Well, then... Um, which, it was really good. I liked it. But this time I want to start try oranges because they're a little sweeter and I, you know, I love my sweet drinks. So I think, or I think oranges will be better than lemons, but, and then after oranges, I am curious to try strawberries. I'm just can't imagine that combination tasting really good, but I want to give it a shot before I just assume that it's not going to be something good. But like my green tea that I use with strawberries, I just doesn't, we'll see. What about if you, I give you some of my preserved lemons um, you know, fermented lemons, I, you know, with the lemon peel and everything. I wonder, because those like smell sweet and they, they taste great adding them to things. And again, fermented lemons, the nice thing is you can use the peel and everything and like dice it up in foods. And I've been doing that in many different meals and it, and it tastes great. But I just wonder if you already have something fermented, it would add a different flavor. Well, I wonder yeah, if it works in your that. kombucha. I think we could try it. I think you, yeah, try fermented Lemons. I mean, we'll just keep stacking fermented things on top of each other. To I feel like... like if you keep doing that, eventually we'll come to a stop or you will come to a point where it just doesn't taste good. You can only combine so many fermented things together. That's what's mm-hmm. beautiful about fermented foods. In my opinion is that there's such a good balance with other non-fermented well, meals. Well, yeah, they're, they're generally and... throughout history condiments. I mean, exactly. So you, you, you eat sauerkraut a, a on a broth or otherwise. full of fermented foods just doesn't sound... Except for the Napa cabbage carrots and uh, sriracha sauce. That's not a full meal. You cannot eat that as a meal. Well, I'm saying, though, that's like a full uh, dish. Really? A full I dish. I wouldn't consider that a full dish. That's in, a, that's in a full dish mind, like a salad. Would... What, what, do you, what do you consider it? A side dish. That's a side dish. Yeah. Uh, okay, a full side dish. Exactly. Yes. Like Just a salad... like fermented coleslaw. A, a, a full side dish. I guess. Yes. So a full side dish, not a full meal. Yes. I don't think I'd want a full meal of all fermented things, but that's a nice thing. You add a little bit of fermented stuff to it. It arguably makes it a little bit more digestible, everything, because it helps get your gut going. And starting with the uh, the fermented side dishes or the fermented condiments can definitely be a good way to kickstart everything. You like to start off with those. I am so much different. I'm completely opposite. I like to finish my meal with a fermented dish. So if there's a meal um, and there's sauerkraut or kimchi or something at the side, I usually finish that last. See, I like getting those acidic, those tart things, get my gastric juices See, flowing. See, to me, it does not sound good. On an empty stomach, kimchi. Just... It's amazing. Oh, well, actually, it's weird. I have oh, had it on an yeah. empty stomach before, but if there's a meal and there's like rice or as you like to call it, a, a stir fry, I will eat that first and then finish off with the kimchi. It's so much more satisfying. Well... There you have it. I mean, I guess that's, that's, you do it whichever way you want, but hey, I like it before and after. I need to work on some more fermented desserts. That's, yeah, I, I'm wondering how With those, those preserved be. lemons, I'm sure I could come up with some fermented desserts. Yeah, I'm sure there are some. I don't care if they're too. cooked or baked or, or whatnot. I just, I mean, I'm, obviously, yes, there's the easy ones, like you can make some Greek yogurt puddings or other things well, yeah, like that. But that's, but that's, I'm not talking as much. Uh, you know, like a fermented cake. yogurt things. I mean, like, yeah, a chocolate sauerkraut cake. I need to, I need to experiment with that. That sounds really gross. It's your birthday coming up soon. Hey, maybe maybe chocolate sauerkraut cake. No, Two thank of you. your favorite things. Just chocolate. Kimchi chocolate cake. Oh, chocolate's fermented, so there you go. Yes, it's, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, you can't really escape the fermented things even if you try. I, I'm I'm willing to let you try the, the fermented lemon in a cake because I am liking my okay, well, citrusy cakes, so you can do that. That's very safe. Yes, yes, it is. But hey, you'd be making a dessert with You're going to allow me to make you a cake? Yes, I will. Okay. I Excellent. mean, it would be a shame if you made me a cake and I didn't eat it because it has sauerkraut and chocolate. Honestly, I could put, maybe see those two together. Uh, oh, but sauerkraut I just, and chocolate would definitely go. Um, I make smoothies with sauerkraut in it. That's different. Is that weird? I, mm, it could be, but I feel sauerkraut, like a smoothie. Sauerkraut, I think peanut butter, strawberries, orange juice. But exactly, but all yogurt, of those things cover yogurt. all of those things cover the sauerkraut. So it's kind of like one of those things when you're making a smoothie and you're adding powders or proteins, um, which I don't think you do. But 
it's kind of like you can add some of the things in a smoothie that you wouldn't eat otherwise and it covers the flavors covered up and you still get the, the health benefits so i can see why you'd be adding sauerkraut i think you would just add salt to the smoothie well yeah which because the peanut butter sweetness. the peanut butter would cover the, the the sauerkraut taste i mean do you actually taste the sauerkraut in your smoothie i don't think so no it's generally mostly the saltiness but again it's like adding spinach or any other kind of green to a smoothie too it's like well, really unless, it's taste it. unless it's a full-on spinach full, yeah. smoothie if there's anything else mixed into it yeah it generally gets all mixed together and and it's lost in it. But um, that's another thing, like kimchi and peanut butter sandwiches. Oh, you just mix some of these like really salty and like other th- I mean, peanut butter goes well with so many salty things. That's true. It does. Peanut butter and pickles. I mean, peanut butter and anything. Peanut butter and anything is good. And peanut butter is good too. Yes. By itself. I don't think you can ferment peanut butter though. I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe we'll try something like that. <laughs> I'm sometime. sure you will. So In a little bit of a follow-up of... Last week, and again, kind of it's like an ongoing follow-up of how are waste products from fermentation and commercialized things being used for for good? How is fermentation being used besides for food? And, and surprisingly, how much waste is there from fermentation too? Oh yeah, lots of lots of waste. But this that's kind of like from anything. This one comes from cheese, and again, we've we've talked about you know whey coming from making Greek yogurt. It's the 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 liquid really? that's drained off. No way. No way. Yes. <laughs> this is uh this is with cheese, it's the there is usually whey that's removed as well, but not in uh um in making some cheeses, it's soaked in a salt brine. And so there's a cheese brine. And that cheese brine is being applied to roads. Because here in the Midwest, it gets slip 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 slippery. It gets icy, it gets Roads need salt added to them. Okay. Or sand or otherwise. They're... So you're trying to say when the roads are slick, they can use this to prevent accidents? There you go. Thanks for the translation. <laughs> I think most of you probably understand the concept of putting ice or, or not putting ice on the road, putting sand things that either melt ice salt. and sand is going to help add traction. The salt helps melt the ice and also creates a little bit of traction. And way will do both? Way no way, no way. We're talking cheese brine here. I yes, cheese brine sorry. is what the cheese soaks in, um, for um, part of the cheese making process what for kind certain of cheeses. cheeses uh, for uh, like mozzarella and different things like that. Okay. Um, lots of other ones as not well. Cheddar. Cheddar does not get a, a brine. You can do it for uh, like a, a, a feta and different things. Okay. D- different ones. Then they have that salt brine for that nice traditional taste and. There's many others that I'm sure do, but again, I don't make that many cheeses, so I don't know for sure. But cheese brine is a waste product that normally has to be put and disposed of properly. Because again, you can't put these things in the river because then you're polluting the river, even though it's not a deadly thing to start with if you put too much. Like this one cheese making place, 5,000 gallons a month, that's a lot. That's a, that's a, a lot that you wouldn't want to put. You have to process it. When it turn it back money. into like yeah which costs the place money to actually make uh, or to to actually dispose of it it costs them money well here's a great thing the uh, a city in uh, or a county in Minnesota and also Wisconsin and a few other places have experimented with using that brine that waste product putting it on the street it actually works better than salt because they were experimenting with salt like liquefying or not liquefying the salt, but wetting the salt before putting the the salt down. And we're talking salt, we're talking magnesium chloride and wetting it makes it so it melts the ice better and and applies better. But the, the salt brine, it has a lower freezing point. So they apply it wet and it doesn't freeze as fast. So it actually is more effective at melting ice than magnesium. And much more cost effective, I assume. Yeah, because we're talking one point. Uh, $1.29 a gallon on average for magnesium uh, chloride salt. And it costs them about $0.09. Cents. A gallon. Yeah, $0.09 cents a gallon to transport the brine. Because the place... Is giving the, it for the, free. They're giving it for free because they're saving money because they're not paying a waste treatment plant to treat that 5,000 gallons a month. You know, they're going through thousands of gallons a year. The This county, Polk County in, in Minnesota, is... Is, is saving. Okay. Yes. Yes. You're from Polk County in Iowa and uh, different Polk counties. I'm sure there's Polk counties all over the place. 
I'm sure there's someone that okay, lives in okay. Polk County listening to this episode right now. <laughs> um, and uh, so they're saving on, uh, they're estimating they're saving about $40,000 a year by, they're obviously still having to use some salt. They're not getting enough brine, but the more places that are doing this kind of thing, this is similar to the, the sauerkraut giving the, uh, I think last time I said that the, the sauerkraut plant in France was, was selling the, the, the brine. Um, and they're actually giving it because again, it saves them money and they're giving it to the water treatment plant. The water treatment plant is turning it into biogas, that sauerkraut juice. And then they're powering their plant. They're selling the arrest back to the grid. It's all these things, these, these, these cycles of life, these cycles. Well, of commercial- I just love that we're being more open to these things because I feel like there's probably so much that we can do with upcycling. I guess I think we discussed this, but I would, I call it upcycling. Um, I agree with just you. I thought with, about it more this week. Just with um, with everything that we do. I mean, we, we we I feel like as a society have turned to making products for specific uses, whereas we are now starting to think of how can we reuse products versus making new products. It saves it saves people money. Yeah, take got to take the time, got to take the research to figure out how to do these kind of things. But oh my gosh. They're saving 40000 a in year. In the long run, it's and much salt better. is expensive. And there's also sometimes on bad years, it's there's salt shortages. You can't even get it. But I don't think... I'm if pretty in... sure we in Madison had a year, um, a few years back, where they had like used up their budget for, um, for well, roads. Yeah, there's, okay, so maybe it's more and, of a budget uh, for it. So Yeah, yeah and, and so we had a really bad winter. And, and halfway through, they're like, okay, we don't have any more money to clear the roads. Um, so if Madison would consider doing this, that would be wonderful. Yeah, and I think that I, I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of opportunities for this. There's a lot of cheese making. I don't know how Especially feasible it is for for different places or how, like how difficult it is. I mean, because the county would have to get vehicles that could transport this kind of stuff. Well, how that's stuff. probably not any different than transport transporting salts to any county. I mean, yeah, I mean although our, that salt the, the machinery is not, may have to be updated. The salt is order. not made in that county, so all. No, I'm uh, saying though, like we're talking about a dry product versus a wet product, and so well, like, yeah, some but, things might have to be updated. It might cost more in the short run, but it saves so much money in the long run. Yeah. And I just think these are these things are great, and it's really just interesting to see all these ways that this kind of stuff can happen in many different industries, and in especially food of all kinds, like waste products. But it's interesting how there's just these multiple ways that fermented foods can. The waste products from fermented foods, because fermented foods aren't perfect. They create waste, but they can be used and reused and used in different ways. It's kind of like a person at home, if they make cheese or they make Greek yogurt, it's possible to use that way for other things. And that's kind of, this topic is is a little bit more, uh, today we thought we'd focus on starter cultures. Because it comes up often, starter cultures, using them versus not using them. And so whey is a great thing to kind of think about because it's sometimes used as a starter culture. I personally am in the camp of no whey. I'm not a fan of putting whey into, into, into foods to start the fermentation process. It's because he has a certain, I think I agree with you only, well, not that I really use it to ferment, but trying foods that have in it, have it, it just has a different taste and i think some people just don't taste it or they don't mind it but i don't like that it's like an aftertaste it's kind of like a Mm -hmm. weird i totally agree with you there but i mean i think people that like it i think it's great it's just not one of the it's just i feel like it changes the product and some people might like that change yeah and so starter cultures in general and whey being used as a starter culture now for whey being used as a starter culture that was kind of uh brought on by sally fallon in the weston price foundation and her book nourishing traditions that's really where that seems to come from. I can't find it anywhere else. It all seems to come from Sally Fallon saying, if you have whey as a product in your life from making other things like Greek yogurt or, or cheeses or otherwise, or you have access to whey using that as a starter culture to, you know, put it as we were talking about soaking oatmeal overnight, put a little bit of whey in there to like boost it a little bit more and ferment sooner. And you can put it into vegetables. If you're fermenting some carrots, put some whey in there and start the fermentation process sooner. Now, the thing is, a lot of the things that that the Sally Fallon book recommends for adding whey to doesn't actually need whey. I mean, you, anything that why you do you use think it's whey, recommended then to speed up the process? Speed up the process, yes. Okay. Which I would say, and some of the professional or commercial research out there on 
sauerkraut specifically, adding a starter culture is frowned upon because it changes the, the flavor, because it changes the fermentation process. Adding microorganisms to a vegetable, which does not, any vegetable with a salt, in a salt brine or in its own juices like sauerkraut, does not need a starter culture. So that's important to understand is that you don't need a starter, starter culture for everything. Some things you do. But what's wrong with using it and just making a different product? That's okay. If you like, if you like the taste, yes, go for it. If you, if a person likes the taste, but it's just like anything, if you're striving for, if you're going towards perfection, if you're going towards, um, something that, that tastes perfection. I mean, come on. Yes. Let's, what is perfection? (laughs) I'm just saying, perfection in sauerkraut. you, You can't, there is no perfection. Yes, it is personal preference, and, and, and we definitely see that with fermented foods throughout history and throughout cultures, that different cultures definitely find different kinds of foods, like some of the fermented like meats that sit in holes for like a year or whatnot. Like, um, some people just are really turned off by that and would not be able to stomach eating it because it smells, tastes, and like they, they their, their body just wants to reject it because it's disgusting. Um, some people don't like fish sauces, you know, fermented anchovy juice sorts. Um I personally really like fish sauce. I think it smells disgusting, but cooking with it, oh my gosh, it makes foods amazing. But yes, there is no perfection in fermented foods. It is what a person likes. But if a person is going for... A pure? No, no. Okay, yes, you could say pure, but I'm not even saying pure, but try it both ways. Might be surprised. The way speeds up the process. Also, backslopping speeds up the process. And backslopping is using juice from the previous batch in the next batch. And some of the, the papers out there for, for commercial production of sauerkraut state that the those three stages, sometimes four stages of sauerkraut fermentation are completely altered when you add, because the bacteria are different through the different stages. So if you're adding the last stage, the third or fourth stage, however you want to look at it, of bacteria into the beginning, it's going to be a different product because you're skipping so much of it. And a lot of the flavor happens in that first and second one, especially for sauerkraut. If you're doing a long fermentation batch of that, if you're doing like a week long fermentation for sauerkraut or like less than a week, or if you, if a person likes their sauerkraut really young, like there's nothing wrong with eating sauerkraut at at two days old. It tastes different. It's just like I eat those Napa cabbage and carrots that were fermented for a week and then slowly, barely fermented for a month. Um, And that was more to add the bubbles as opposed to anything else. It's... Um, they're different products, but they're not necessarily bad. And some people don't like sauerkraut unless it's, it's been fermented for such a short period of time. So there's nothing wrong with adding a starter culture to change that process. Um, and if you're going to only do it for a few days, maybe that taste will be better. But the, the, the research and the consumer studies show, which again, doesn't matter if you're making it at home, you can do whatever you want, but that the process is different. And so it's important to realize that if you're using a starter culture in something that doesn't need a starter culture, which again, vegetables don't need a starter culture. They have the how, lactic acid bacteria on them. How common is it to use it then? Is it, is it well, a common if, uh, practice? It depends on what camp a person's in. If they're like a Weston Price, Sally Fallon camp, probably using whey for many different things. I don't even know if the the Weston Price Foundation people are, are um, we'd have to ask them. But I don't know if they're using as much way. I think it's still popular and I still see it all over recommendations on, on the internet, casual recommendations of it. But th- that really seems to be those, th- that seems to be the group of people that are recommending way and which it, it, it does change the flavor and that's okay. Because way is, it has lactic acid bacteria from dairy in it. And so for me, it's just a little weird adding lactic acid bacteria from a dairy ferment into a vegetable ferment, which is going to have different lactic acid bacteria. Yeah. I mean, I understand. I can see that. Um, so it's going to create again, like a different product. It's not the same product. I don't, I think you can still, I, I think it's okay to call it sauerkraut or call it kimchi. I, I, I don't know. I can't even so imagine adding what, way to kimchi. What do you then, in what foods are you okay using a starter culture versus which ones do you prefer not to? Vegetables don't need it. So it's simple. Just don't use them. I mean, and I don't mind, a lot of vegetables all ferment short periods of time anyway. Like dill, uh, garlic dill, green beans only take like a week and a half. So those don't really take that long anyway. So I don't really need to speed up the process. Fermented carrots, like dicing up a bunch of carrots or even using, um, I haven't done it in years, but like using 
like baby carrots, just tossing those in. So you don't even have to cut anything up. Just toss those in the salt brine of 2.25%. That's usually what I do. Um, and, uh, ratio to water. And, uh, it's like doing that. It's, I've done it with whey. Actually, I remember the batch that I did with, no, maybe I didn't do it with baby carrots. I did it with diced carrots or I don't even remember. I but think you did it with baby I, carrots. That was, that was a while. You had some baby carrots that I tried that I really did not like. Yeah. It almost had like a slimy. Yeah, it did. Oh. Character to it. That was way that I added to that. Now it's not that your carrots or vegetables are going to turn slimy. It's just that it changed the fermentation process. And I think I also let those ferment for longer because I'm generally used to fermenting carrots for a little bit longer. So fermenting with whey is different. It's going to be speedier. I wonder, don't have any research to back this up whatsoever, but fermenting things faster. I wonder how it changes things. The so-called health dynamics of it, the pre-digestion of the vegetables that the enzymatic changes. Like, I don't know how everything happens faster or slower. I know that with sauerkraut, if you're not even adding a starter culture, you're just fermenting regularly heat. You know, we went over this before. Uh, temperature and salt ratio makes a difference in how it ferments, the speed it ferments, the the ratio of bacteria that take over and what at what stage they take over. So all of these things are going to interact and change a fermentation process. And so try whey in vegetables. It's definitely a, a viable option to kickstart something, but just remember that vegetables don't need kickstarting. They are going Unless, to ferment on their own. So they can try it on, um, if they want to play with, different flavors and experiments, but just so they know they don't have to use it. Yeah. And, in yeah, vegetables are something I'm not going to use a starter culture. Most everything else needs a starter culture. And oh, the one other thing that I can think of that doesn't need a starter culture, if you're going to make, if you're going to clabber milk, if you're, but you can only use raw milk because it needs the, the native lactic acid bacteria to at room temperature and proper humidity to take over and clabber milk and clabber being the, the process of, um, curdling milk, separating the curds and whey. And, and so and how, what would you do with that? I haven't the, honestly tried it, but you just like, it, okay. The, milk what, naturally curdles it. If it's not pasteurized, it naturally curdles. It's going to over time, like fresh milk is a rather new phenomenon. Unless a person was on a farm, which I was drinking fresh milk was which before I did. refrigeration. Oh, well, we had refrigeration. Yes. But before refrigeration, fresh milk was something that only was a luxury if you were milking those cows yourself or, or lived right near a dairy. Actually, my grandma did not have electricity in her house. I wonder how they stored their milk. Now that I think of this, I, my grandma, I am, I think. Did they store milk though? Or did... I don't know. That's a good point. I never thought about this because she lived in this little remote house up in the mountains. Didn't you say she made cheese? Yeah. Well, but they like... did not have a refrigerator. They did not. Well, you don't I... need a refrigerator for they some didn't... cheeses. They did not have electricity. I know that for a fact. They didn't even have water. They had a well outside. Um, they had an outhouse. I mean, it was a very, very like off the grid type of house. Um, and now I, I'm going to have to ask my father how what they did with the milk. I mean, of course I know my uncle, um, he lived with my grandma. He would bring the milk to my parents in, in town. And, and that's how I tried raw milk. And I think people would be surprised to know that raw milk has very many different flavors depending on the season, what cows eat. I mean, these were grass fed cows in, in spring, summer, and, and they had, um, what do you call it? Dry grass? Whey? Wheat. Wheat. Or thank you. Yes. Hay, hey, or... hey, hey. Yes. Hey. <laughs> um, in, in winter, but sometimes in the summer, that milk would have a smell. I mean, I, as a kid, I didn't like it in, in some stages, but, um, and it's just, that's, what, that's one thing I just feel like many people maybe not know is that raw milk. And I'm not saying I am one of those people that believes drinking raw milk is any better than pasteurized milk. Um, but drinking raw milk or even what they did is they, they just boil it. Um, that was their way of pasteurizing the milk. They, they boil it once it was, um, like the following day, they milk the cows at night, but it, it 
like it had so many different flavors and that's what i feel like the milk you a person can purchase in the store at least in this country is for the most part if it's whole milk it all has a very similar taste you can't be like oh this brand tastes a little different than this brand um but milk is actually very well the brands are going to taste different but they're going to they're going to be i have never really had milk from different brands that i was like oh this tastes slightly different sure if you have skim milk next to each other skim milk versus whole milk there's a huge difference, but I'm talking about just whole milk and different brands. It's kind they, of all... are, They are going to taste different, but they're going to taste consistent throughout the year. They're not going to be seasonal. I guess that's true. I don't they're know. Not be I don't even know if I've You would be surprised. Well, okay. You can... It, it, but changing different animals, like if you have mare's milk, goat's milk, okay, sheep's well, milk, that, okay, all those, those yes, are going to taste different. Of course. They're also going to taste different um, by the brand because... I they're don't all going to Like, well, because even whole milk, it's like it's, it's a ratio of, of cream or fat to to everything i mean it's not a perfect thing so everyone's gonna be about, a little different. like I, I i guess for me the difference i taste is the oh, i can't even explain I'm, I'm terrible at explaining flavors and things but to me the difference i can tell maybe is the the body of it but not not the flavor of it so okay might, so the body would be different the flavor is different i will tell you like if you try some milks right next to each other i, I guess doing they that all but this, taste what like i'm referring milk. to is yes, they taste like cow's milk what i'm referring to is this is like real cow's milk this is very strong smell taste that's, is it, it fully it, the pasteurization that that takes that out i don't know i no i don't think that is i think then what, it, what is it well i think a lot of well, for one a lot of cows in this country don't get the the pleasure of a really grazing on a whole bunch of different grasses i think even the 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 cows that are eating in the pastures i mean my uncles and grandma's cows in croatia would, in croatia would literally roam the mountains and like there were like i mean this is like these were mountain cows like mountain goats mountain go- mountain i mean cows. but they, they had grass i mean they didn't have fenced in areas for them they would just roam around whatever they go i honestly have no idea how they'd keep Did they have them. the little bells yeah, they had bells. So that's how you'd find them. And um, so at night we'd go walk sometimes a few miles to get them all and they'd come home. And But yeah, I mean, so I, I feel like even, and I can't, I can't assume, I guess, here. Um, I don't think it's just the pasteurization that makes it very similar. I think it's also maybe the cows don't get to explore as much. Well, and of course, so many cows don't in, was, even in Wisconsin eat. and then like upper. Yeah. I mean, and so and I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not sure. I think the pasteurization has something to do with that. The processing it's something because even like, um, you know, nicer quality milks that are low vat pasteurized. Uh, so low temperature pasteurization and non-homogenized, um, which is great for cheese making and whatnot. Um, they still taste like milk. They don't taste that. They don't have that seasonality. I've never actually tried raw milk in this country. So I guess I don't know if there is a difference in flavor or not. So I'm not, I guess I'm not sure. Um, but I would like to try it just to see if it really is what I remember, you know, from being uh, from Croatia, because it really does have a different flavor. Actually in Croatia, it's really funny. Um, kids that grew up on farms with um, cows and stuff, they don't like to drink that milk. They like to drink the store-bought milk. And in Croatia, the milk is, I think you talked about it before. It's in those boxes not even refrigerated because pasteurized yeah and like kids love that flavor over there because there's they don't they're so tired of drinking like the real milk and then and so when at least my cousins like if my uncle um i don't even know why he would occasionally purchase store-bought milk i honestly have no idea but they would love it that was like a luxury there (laughs) and i just think it's so ironic because i feel like in this country we're wanting to consume more of like the real stuff and over there it's it's flipped around but well a small percentage are wanting to consume real stuff i think the large percentage of people are still drinking um the cheapest milk but i don't think that's people because people want to i think they just don't really think about it it's just something that they do yeah and and myself coming from being lactose intolerant and never growing up drinking milk until i started fermenting milk i never was drinking milk so for me like the idea of getting like the really cheap milk just kind of grosses me out. Well, There's me too. There's nothing wrong with it if I'm going to add some fermentation cultures to it. I think for me, it's it. just, I don't know. I, I, I just always wonder what's in it, what those cows eat. Um, and I mean, I, I am an animal lover. So part of me is also like, I don't necessarily want to support that kind of um, farming and producing production of milk where, you know, they really, some cows don't even see sunlight. They're just in, in barns. Um, so that has something to do with it. But 
more more importantly it's really also what what are they consuming so i i you know i always want to be consuming and buying milk from well mainly locally but also just you know knowing that the cows at least had a good life and and i know that some people probably see that as cheesy but I think it's completely possible to. I think animal animal rights are important. I oh, I do like... too. But I'm just talking about some. You know, I'm I'm. I just think it's possible to produce as much milk as we are producing in more humane ways. And some people maybe like not to, at the scale we have. I think some people like to believe that there's no other way, and I don't think that's true. But that's a whole new topic. But, but... back to clabbering milk, like yes. your grandmother probably did. It's something if you leave raw milk out, it's going to the the native bacteria, the lactic acid bacteria, are going to clabber the milk. It's going to culture the milk. So that's really the only dairy ferment that doesn't need a starter culture. Anything else like yogurts, starter cultures are required. Now, what is the starter culture with yogurt is just going to be previous batch of yogurt. With um, cheese, it was traditionally the same way. You used a um, some backslop again. You backslop from the... Or, or you put some of the... And now this is something where I don't know how... Like exactly cheese was doing it. Were they doing it in the stage right at the curdling stage to then use so like getting some of that or are they, are they taking the bacteria after they've started to ferment or been pressed into, to, to cheese wheels or otherwise, I don't know exactly how that backslopping happens, but I know traditionally cheese, there weren't commercially derived bacterial starters to make consistent cheese. Yeah. To, so it's like, it was always from the last last batch or, or, or somehow like for some of the molds, I'm sure they grew the molds on different things and then, then added them to them. But, um, that's kind of the, with the yogurts going back to direct set versus heirloom yogurts with the direct set being the commercially derived, the ones that are for reproducible results are going to be a certain strains of bacteria that are then generally, um, dehydrated or what's not dehydrated, but the, uh, um, what do you oh the I they're not dehydrated about. but they're 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 dry they come like in little powder form um but they're what is that called that's really bugging me if you think of it let me know but it's the so you have the the bacteria in dry form those direct set cultures and you add those to cheese you add them to yogurts and you can even add them to vegetables so we're back to vegetables and fermenting vegetables you don't have to use whey you can actually purchase a vegetable starter which are going to be specific bacteria that are going to jump start the process now, I don't know. I've never used a vegetable starter, like a commercial vegetable starter. You can get them at some health places but why or would otherwise. You? Again, I wouldn't even There's use There's no me. Don't do it. Well, it will, again, back to your whole thing of producing a different result. Like it's going to produce a different, different thing. And so there's nothing wrong with trying it differently. It's just it's going to depend on what a person's looking for. And with those bacteria are, again, going to be commercially isolated or like you know, in a laboratory or otherwise isolated bacteria that are specifically chosen. Now let's hope for the vegetable starters. They're choosing the ones that are at the beginning of the process. So that might just jumpstart the process without being different ones that are going to, um, to, to alter like that finishing flavor. So instead of using the last ones in sauerkraut, it's going to be the first ones. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not, that it's wrong to add those starter cultures. And, and and for a lot of things, it makes it, especially commercial productions, it can definitely help. And I'm sure for different vegetables, different things, um, they are using starter cultures. Pickles, I don't know generally commercially if they're using vegetable starters for those. But those isolated strains of bacteria, usually added in a powder form, are then put into the the batch of vegetables, into the yogurts, into the cheeses, or the milk, to start to make those cheeses and yogurts. And then it's um, mixed in and then it starts, it jump starts the fermentation process. Because if you're dealing with pasteurized milk, going back to the dairy stuff, if you're dealing with pasteurized milk, it's going to um, be a, a relatively barren like landscape. It's not, there's not much bacteria in there. There's sure there's some and there, there's, you know, obviously if you leave pasteurized milk out, it's going to turn rancid. So bacteria either getting in or there are still some inherently in there. That's where the ultra pasteurization comes in and why that can sit for even longer because there's fewer bacteria that survived to that stage. But, you know, adding a starter culture to that, you really kind of have to, because if you just let milk, pasteurized milk sit out, it's not going to clabber in the same way. 
maybe occasionally luck of the draw, it would turn out okay, but I wouldn't want to risk that with all the things from pasteurized milk, all the, the, the bad bacteria or different things that could, could get into there and, and contaminate it otherwise. So well, that, no, that doesn't even sound safe. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try it and, uh, don't try that at home kids, but, uh, kids, uh, one thing Since kids are fermenting these days. Hey, it's great for science projects. I mean, it's, it's a great way to learn about food, learn about where food comes from. And, uh, um, you know, so kids, kids, yeah. Fermenting it's fermentation is fun for all ages. Um, from, from one to 101, um, and beyond because, you know, if, if you believe some of the health claims, you'll be living way past 100 if you eat fermented foods. I don't know if I really, I don't that, know but, about that, but, but Hey, doesn't hurt. So the starter cultures, if you're using an heirloom yogurt, you're not going to be using a direct set culture. You're going to be using a heirloom. Like you're going to be using yogurt from the previous batch. Because again, going back to the yogurt stuff, if you're using direct set or if you're buying, purchasing the yogurt at the store and then using that for uh, making yogurt. You can only do it so many times. So many times because otherwise it's eventually not, it's, it's not the same kind of colony of bacteria that have lasted throughout hundreds of years being passed down from generation to generation. Instead, it's something that's been derived in a lab and it uh, eventually isn't going to work quite the same way. It kind of falls apart. They, they, they're, they're bacteria that have been put together in a room and said, Hey, work together. And that collaboration generally falls apart after, you know, a few batches or otherwise. This is a little off topic, but um, do you want to explain the difference between not saying I don't I disregard everything you're talking about, but the difference between, uh, kefir grains and water kefir grains because I I guess this was even news to me. Obviously, they're not the same thing, but can you just explain the difference? I think some people might want to find that interesting. Totally random, but yes, it's still a starter culture. So it's, <laughs> again, though, okay, just stepping one step back so we don't get completely derailed here is uh, with starter cultures is... <laughs> of course. Kefir grains are, uh, they're scobies. They're, they're symbiotic colonies of bacteria and yeast both water kefir grains also known as uh tobicos is is that the word i think I don't uh, know. that's the, the the spanish word for it um and dairy kefir those are not the same things they're both polysaccharide mounds of of collections of yeast and bacteria but they're totally different bacteria and water kefir grains as far as i understand do not carry any of the acidic acid producing bacteria, which dairy kefir grains do. They have acidic lactic acid and, um, so and, water, and yeast. do you think water kefir grains are referred to as water kefir grains because they look like dairy because there's polysaccharide clumps of, okay. Uh, so they look like other kefir bra- grains and that's they don't why. look the same. They, they look more okay, like well, they're, jelly-like. They're, they're clear, but they have jelly-like. the, they're kind of like that little like balls of, yeah, I'd say like, you know, Dairy kefir looks a little bit more cauliflower-like, but, uh, you know, I, I'd say that water kefir grains are a little bit more, like, jello-like little grains. So, I mean, they're def- they definitely glob around But they have the similar process of making it. Or- well, they both are, like, you can call them both grains, even though neither of them have anything to do with well, yeah. actual grains. Um, but, again, they're both starter cultures, and you need those because you can't, those are ones that don't backslop. Can't backslop with your your kefir grains, be they water kefir or dairy. Well, that's because kefir. you're not producing kefir grains; you're producing a drink. So of you prefer to produce a drink, which is different from. They have different bacterial makeups than the actual. Uh, grains. The grains have different bacterial makeup than the drink that is being made, and uh, bacterial and yeast for those two examples. So you have to use the starter culture, the starter culture being the scoby, because a, a scoby is. Not generally referred to as a starter culture, but that's what it, it's the same concept. You're you're introducing bacteria, and in the case of um, scobies, the symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast, you're introducing yeah bacteria and yeast. Why is it that I guess I have never seen water kefir drinks sold at the store? Do they even sell those? I think some restaurants do. I've seen restaurants, like one but in like California stores. And do you? I'm just. Do you have any idea? I'm just curious. It's not as walk. exciting. Really? It's not? There's, well, there's 
generally I've, not any caffeine. There's like you can. I've I mean, seen people make juices from it. And yeah, but it's not really differentiated from like sodas. It's just a sparkling drink. I mean, you can make it bubbly if you want. And I think we should start making a product here. Oh, really? You want to? You want to let's, sell? Let's start selling um, kefir sodas. We can call it kefir soda. Kefir soda. Yeah, and we can put all those false Why claims on there. Healthy bacteria. I'm just kidding. Oh, so you want to have like a eight point <laughs> five million dollar settlement like the? No, I um, don't. But hey, I think that's a really good idea. We should really talk about this later. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll. we'll we will. You will be the first ones to know if this product. I'm ever sure hits there the are. Store. Are there some commercial? I'm gonna have to look this up. I just don't think it's. I don't here. think it's that. It's not that commercially viable in the sense. It's not as exciting. I mean, kombucha. You know, has. You know, it's 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 caffeine, it's sugar, it's tea, it's beer-like, but water kefir isn't quite that same thing. Plus, I think that water kefir is exciting and all, but it's not it's not my favorite thing. I mean, again, I'm just not as much into the sweet kind of fermented stuff as as much. Like there is nothing wrong with sweet. Although taking some grape juice and putting some water kefir grains into that and making some bubbly grape juice is exciting. Yeah, I mean, come on. You know, it's like almost wine. No. Or almost sparkling. <laughs> no. I don't think that's what you'd call it. Okay. Well, it's, again, another starter culture. It's a SCOBY, but it's a starter culture. Same as kombucha, like we are just kind of mentioning. It's another starter culture. Again, it's all about introducing those bacteria into something that doesn't have the native bacteria necessary to create what a person is going for. I definitely plan to make some drinks from water kefir grains, and I will share those with you and my opinions. And for listeners that um, like their drinks, food sweet like me, I will definitely share some recipes that I personally like. But as of right now, I have not done that yet. But I will. I'll definitely keep you updated. Well, in considering that, I mean, well, you don't even come from a soda drinking background, really. But for those that do want to replace sodas, water kefir um, and kombucha are great substitutes. Because they're bubbly. Well, hey, and ginger sodas, come on. Well, yes, you can make naturally fermented sodas as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there are... I, you know what? That's one thing I did not realize until recent years that I guess I always was under the assumption that sodas in general were not healthy for you, not good, and that you couldn't make them yourself, which it's just really funny how that's completely changed. Like, obviously, you can make them yourself and in such well, I, I think much better, much tastier, much fuller. Um, but it is important and, to remember that like naturally fermented sodas are a newer thing thing i mean i i think that there's some bit of that from um, kombucha is not a thing no not kombucha I'm oh, that's not about a soda like but yeah soda like it, you can you can make soda at home with the seltzer water and like syrup i mean it's not like syrup but i'm talking about like ginger soda that's not using any of those things yeah but i that's pure which one, fermentation. Which, which one which one came first though i'm pretty certain that really? sodas kind of came out it. of the, the uh -uh. pharmacies with their uh, like so you're saying ginger water. soda was created after we already had soda I'm not no I'm not saying it necessarily was and, and but even like the first root beer which you know you can make naturally fermented root beer um, that kind of started I, I, again when it became popular and where it started are two different things and so but when sodas became popular it was like really um, you know like well it started not being sparkling it was just syrup sugar water in water I mean like syrup in water and um, and then it became popular, like the, the pharmacies were the ones with the soda fountains. I mean, they, they'd add the sparkling water, the, the seltzer water to, to syrup. And that's kind of like, just like fountain soda machines today, same kind of concept. So, um, you know, naturally fermented sodas, I'm sure that there's been some of that going on, but it's, I it's, I think it's more of a newer argue. thing. Well, it's probably a newer thing, but not as new as sodas. I know. I think it is. I doubt. I'm going to look into this. I disagree Yeah, some of like the first, like sugar waters that were uh, sugar water is a is a new concept newer concept i mean i would love to find out otherwise but i've not been able to find anything that really states that like sugar water beverages i mean because it's kind of a luxury to, uh, i guess sugar cultures, is a certain, luxury certain cultures throughout history have had large access to um to sugar um but even when there's usually large access to honey that's been turned into mead I mean, and alcohols are different things but not um yeah okay so there are like the small beers so that would be the closest thing I'd say. It's kind of like sodas, naturally fermented sodas kind of come out of the small beer fashion of like low alcohol beers, um, like from, from olden days or whenever. So that would probably be the, the closest that I'd say is. 
is where that stuff comes from. But I don't think there's anything wrong with consuming sugary drinks. Wrong. I mean, I guess you. It depends on what kind of camp you're in for for health things. I mean, there's some that like don't eat any kind of sugary type things. Come on. (laughs) Who needs health? (laughs) Just eat fermented foods. There you go. It's all balanced. Um. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, uh, and it it is a balance. What we're talking about today, starter cultures. You're creating balance within a wild realm of like pasteurized milk. It's it's a wild realm until you add the starter culture to it. Until you backslop or do whatever, and then you're introducing bacteria into a substance, and then it it runs its way and, and creates balance within the food. Same as like vegetables already can kind of naturally do that. They're gonna they're going they there's no more balance that's needed. There's no induction of, of bacteria that are going to make it better. It's gonna taste different. Again, try it. And it's uh you know. They're just, it's, it's, starter cultures are necessary in many ways, not so necessary in others. And they're amazing in so many ways. Starter cultures are? Yes. Starter cultures. And, and, and yes, it's like, I, I just know- think fermentation in general is amazing in so many ways. It's so forgiving, so flexible. You could do whatever you want. I mean, I want to try fermenting green beans in a yogurt, like culture. <laughs> I mean, come on. Just... Wait, so you're going to put... Okay, let me get this right. So you're going to... I've never even thought of this. So you're going to put green beans into like yogurt? Yeah, why not? Or like just try now, different Now, would this things. be watered down yogurt? I don't know. Or even kefir. Kefir I... grains. Or water. Oh, that would be a good mix. Trying water... Water kefir? kefir okay. And green beans. Water kefir and green sugar beans. sugar water. That sounds disgusting, but it sounds like it could potentially. Well, okay, would I'm you let it saying, ferment to the ferment to get all the sugars up and then be not sweet anymore? I don't know. Yeah, maybe, or it could be like a sweet dessert. Green beans and dessert just don't seem to mix for me. But hey, I'm just. But again, saying, we were talking about sour very, cream chocolate cake. Why not try doing that with strawberries? So there's so many possibilities. So fermenting fruits, you're going to get more of alcohols generally, but um, I don't think people would complain about that. Okay, so yes, yeah, so even even if you're uh, fermentation, I mean, fermented foods are alcohol. They always have some alcohol. Yes, there will be some ethanol in it, but not alcoholic. Yeah. I think one like... of your batches of kefir that I had tried was definitely alcoholic. I don't think I've ever tried anything that. No, that was my my kumis mix that I had talked about. Like that it... was a. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I definitely tasted some alcohol in there. It, it definitely more than. Typical. Still, we're talking like two percent versus point mm, yeah, five percent. So very... it's definitely it was definitely more. But that that was so my people, experiment. People my that like their like... alcohol, you know, let something ferment for like months. Who knows where that could take you? Well, if you like alcohol, you might as well get into beer making and wine making. Which but is what way if someone beyond... loves their like kefir fermented such extremes that it's alcohol well, at that point? Kefir is not going to ferment that kind of way because it's going to get very tart. It's not going to turn in. Uh, yes, it will go. Like there's, you'd have to continue right. adding sugars to it. Like, but but with the kumis thing that I was doing, it's like you know adding um, whey. Well, okay. So the best way that I found to do it, and I think I did it this week, was to take some kefir, brewed kefir or fermented kefir, not kefir grains, but take some of that because again, all I wanted was the yeast to kind of make a kumis like thing because kumis being made with mare's milk is sweeter than cow's milk, horse milk versus cow's milk. I added a little bit of sugar water. Clarifying that. You're welcome. In case some foreign person's listening. Foreign people would know what mare's milk is, wouldn't they? My mother wouldn't. I don't think many people know. Certain she's listening to our podcast. Okay. Well then, Hey, at least we have one listener. (laughs) Um, And uh, the taking the horse milk as an example is sweeter. So to make my cow's milk sweeter, I added some, uh, because in, in Kumus. I'm sorry, what Kumus? country is that popular in? Turkey. Okay. He'll get Middle back East. to you on that. I don't know because I've never tried it for real. I'm just kind of making up something that's sort of like it because again, like you can, for, for recipes I found for making ghetto kumis, or I say ghetto in the <laughs> sense of it's like not real kumis and it's just using whatever ingredients are easily accessible, like using, um, yeast from like bread yeast, uh, baker's yeast uh, from the store, like the little yeah, freeze, yes. freeze dried, freeze dried, freeze dried. That's the word I was trying to think of earlier. It was not Thank dehydrated. You. It was freeze dried, which again, I looked into it one time seeing if I could like make my own little freeze dried machine, but cost thousands of dollars. It's definitely something that is just better to get commercial. Um, not that I really need to freeze dry my own cultures anyway, but it's nice 
to ensure that they don't disappear. And because it's a lot of work to keep all these starter cultures going. That's why sometimes it's grateful just to have um, vegetables that don't need a starter culture. They don't need anything. They just, you just make them and, and they're done. They don't need anything extra. Whereas all these yogurts, it's like, what do I have now? I have like six or if I count the kefir and then water kefir, you know, I've got like 10 in kom- kombucha. I've got like 10 different starter cultures or scobies. A, a separate refrigerator just for uh, <laughs> your fermentation. Well, yeah, for the things that have to be refrigerated. That's the nice thing about vegetables too, is like so many of them, I can just put them in a cool place and they'll just ferment slower, but I don't eat them in the refrigerator. And, and so, but the dairy things, yes, they need to be put in. But back to the kumis thing, <laughs> adding a little bit of milk or adding to the milk, a little bit of sweet water. So sugar water to kind of like, because using whole milk, I think mare's milk, okay, horse milk is a little over. You, you, you've been all over the place with this. How, I, I described how, it last time. We'll just, we'll just okay. refer back to the last episode, episode, <laughs> episode nine, which at the beginning of that episode, I referred to as episode eight. So I apologize for that. Um, uh, but last episode, he wasn't realizing 10, how, uh, how far ahead we've come. I know we're just, uh, we're in the double digits now. It's, it's, uh, um, we're, it's, it, we're, we're just, you know, 90 away from, from triple digits. <laughs> wow. Um, it's a long ways, but we'll make it. Well, if, if you know, if, if we really want to race ahead, we'll just start doing like multiples a week and, and, you know, like sounds cool. It sounds cool to be triple digits, but double digits is fun too. We're very, very proud. Fermentation is a slow process. Just like getting to a hundred episodes <laughs> in a podcast. That's slow. Fermentation is slow. Um, some things are faster. Like if you add whey, it speeds up the process. So maybe we just need to figure out a way to add some whey to our podcast even though I'm not much of a way guy and it will speed up our ability to get to the hundredth episode. Okay. Brandon. Back to Kumis though. We I are... thought you were going to just have them reference the last podcast. No, I was just going to reference that I added the sugar water to How did you some add the sugar cow's water? milk. Um, did you have hot water and then sugar melted in it? Yes. And then let that go to room temperature. And then it's just, you realize some people don't listen to previous episodes. So you might want to just kind of really quickly give them the I really wasn't step gonna, step. like, you know, this is kind of like a little off topic. So I was trying to sneak it in real quick and it's turned into like a 10 well, yeah, discussion. But what if someone's listening and, and they were like, well, what, what does he mean? You just kind of more clear here. So I take <laughs> the sugar water. Okay. And you don't have to go too in depth. You tend to go just really quickly. Okay. Okay. So wait, so don't go too in depth. Go a little bit more in depth than I normally yes. do, but not too in depth. It's okay. a good balance. So you, you have hot water that you add sugar to. So that's sugar water that you then okay. I, I, I yes. Then you add to the milk. Yes. And so what is the I milk to sugar water ratio? Milk. So what is the ratio of milk to the sugar water? When I say experiment, I mean kind of a pseudo experiment. I'm just kind of not yeah, really measuring for your experiments, when I'm, when like I'm, approximately a cup of sugar water to three cups of milk. Oh, oh, yeah. I can I can tell you that I was not um, not measurements wise, but I can tell you I was using about a third of sugar water to two thirds milk. One okay. part, one part sugar water to two parts milk. And this is not a recipe. This is not a finalized thing it's because Brandon's if I'm going to recipe. actually make a recipe, if I'm going to write a blog post about it or otherwise, um, you'd be more specific. Yeah, well, I, I would test it out multiple times so with is, certain measurements. This is, this your is one like, time this is like the, this is the massaging the idea because I just want to make something that's a little bit more yeasty than kefir because that's what sounds like kumis is, um, because I'm not really, I'm not interested in the alcohol content. I just like that, like that slight, uh, it's more effervescent too, but okay. So then I let, I took the, the, wow. I took the kefir. That's the other thing I messed up. So I took the kefir and I, this, we're just falling apart on this. 10th <laughs> I don't episode. even know what you're talking about at this point, but go ahead. What are we talking about? <laughs> Where are we? Good thing. The episode's almost over. So if anyone was going crazy, they've just turned it off already. So if you are the committed listener that's still listening to this right now, take some <laughs> and kefir. Trying, and trying to figure out where we are. Take the kefir, add the sugar water to the prepared kefir, not kefir grains, just to prepare. So kefir. not milk. Not milk. I skipped wow. that stage. Wow. I you, described it better last episode. Refer to episode nine. Um, that he calls episode eight. We really are more put together than we make it sound at this episode though. Put together, yes, if this is your first... Uh, let's just get... We'll follow up with Keith, uh, Kumis. And Brandon um, loves to say we'll follow up, which he really does. He follows up a lot. Yes, we will. And we'll get better at follow up. And, and especially <laughs> if, if, if... Okay, really, if any of you that are listening have tried Kumis before or know where I can access some Kumis in the United States easily, I'd love to have an actual starter culture of Kumis um, to be able to work from. Uh, because like... Doing and he my, will like, pay big bucks. 
I was not saying that. I was just wondering <laughs> if anyone knew like like where to get that. If the, if there's a commercial version of it that's not pasteurized or otherwise. I mean, I'm just I'm just really curious. Otherwise, we're gonna gonna have to do a field trip to some other country where where they the, have kumis. at the moment you don't know what that country is, but you will follow ideas. you will follow up with that next. I have episode. some ideas. Yes, we'll follow up. Um, and if you are looking for the show notes for this episode, which really, um, I'll put a few options for um, for starter cultures. Uh, generally, I'll get starter cultures at uh, Cultures for Health. Um, you know, and if, if you follow any of the links that are in the show notes, uh, you know, it uh, doesn't cost you any extra, but we'll get a, you know, a little kickback for for following that link. And, and uh, so, yeah, so follow the links there and help support firm up but uh so i'll put a few links in there because otherwise there's just that link about the the news that we talked about today um not much going on besides our opinions not much going on but there's a lot going on in yes you always have to go back to the fermentation we get it brandon (laughs) there's so much going on in the microscopic level but if you'd like to look at those rather slim pickings of um show notes You'll find those at firmup.com slash podcast slash 10. I'm so proud of you. You said podcast slash and you did not mess up. I did not slur the listeners. The if this is your first episode that you have we'll skip over that. To. Yes, that's, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Just go back to previous episodes and listen to me stumble all over things. And eventually I'll get to a faster speed because I really have to slow down to be able to say those. But again, firmup.com slash podcast. Oh, see, can't do it. <laughs> there you go. This is episode 10. Um, just remember that. And uh, if you want to reach us on uh, the Twitters, you can find us at FirmUp. Also, Facebook, FirmUp. Um, and as you like to say, pretty much anywhere, FirmUp. And since this, like, we just totally derailed at the end, if if, <laughs> if you are still listening, that means you are a true fan. Um, or, and we or, thank you. Or becoming, learning to become a true fan. And in that sense, if you really are, um, please go to iTunes if you have time and I'm really bad about rating things apps podcasts different things I'll get around to it eventually and usually kind of do like batch reviews or ratings of things but that's really going to help other people realize that we have some things to say that aren't just aren't, all over aren't the place and aren't all over yes generally we're a little bit more focused than the end of this one has become but um, if you go to iTunes whether you listen to this in iTunes or not you can go rate firm up the podcast the fermented food podcast you can you can rate us and that's really gonna help other people find it um because hey that's 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 a great way spread the word and uh, so going to itunes doing that that's gonna help a lot if you have any feedback or otherwise you can put it in the comments on the show notes page or you can send us email at podcast at firmup.com and so until next time episode 11 episode 11 is next time coming your way yes exciting Firm up. Peace out.